You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. So this morning we are in the third week of... I'm looking over here as if we have a projector here that we haven't had in eight months. (laughs) But it's over here. Um, So we are exploring the various themes of Advent. Uh, We began with hope and peace, and this week we are looking at joy. And I think maybe the uh, one word that helps describe, as I've been going through this and teaching this and sort of reflecting on it, the word that comes to mind is actually unanticipated, which is ironic because Advent is all about anticipation. It's all about anticipating the coming of our Messiah, the coming King. But what we're learning is that the way of hope the kind of hope that uh, is promised to us through the prophet Isaiah and that we read about in uh, Matthew and into the Gospels is, is a hope that is not anticipated. That it's not the kind of hope that we would think. Like, we are hoping for something that doesn't make sense. We call this sort of a naive hope, right? And the same thing about peace. Um, that the path of peace that we looked at last week is oftentimes anything but peaceful. It's tumultuous. It is a bumpy road on the way to peace, which is not very peaceful. And that is just, you don't expect that. That is an unanticipated outcome of walking the path of peace, um, of of hoping in, um, you know, this restoration or what we call this reorientation of reality where uh, Isaiah talks about Um, weapons being turned into garden tools, predators lying down with prey. Like, these are things that we don't even hope for. Like, like we just don't see that. And yet we said that both this audacious hope, this naive hope, and this path of peace makes sense only with the missing variable of... um, of the Messiah that we read about in Isaiah 7.14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so because God is with us through Jesus, this audacious hope has come to pass. It's, it's beginning to come to pass now. This path of peace, sure, it's bumpy, but guess what? It proves to work does lead to peace. And this morning, as we explore the unlikely response of joy in the face of the very real presence of pain and fears and hardships in our lives, we will find that it is, again, because of Emmanuel, that joy is possible. So let's read this morning in chapter Luke, or chapter, uh, chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, uh, and There are some shepherds that are standing in a field when all of a sudden an angel appears to them. Let me just read it. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. 
Now, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Don't be afraid. That's maybe easier said than done. I want you to think specifically of the world in which this situation takes place. First century uh, Israel. Um, these are a people who are treated as less than even second-class citizens within the Roman Empire. Um, they are basically forgotten by the rest of the world. And this was a world, a, um, a society for these people that was just steeped in fear. Uh, when we read about um, Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat, and we read about Zechariah, we get hints of the thing that kind of consumed their minds. Uh, in Mary's song, she sings of a longing for a power that could scatter the proud and dethrone the rulers. Zechariah, that we looked at last week, um, the father of John the Baptist, he, in his song, sings about salvation. He prays for salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us in Luke chapter 1. And so it doesn't take a lot of reading between the lines to uh, kind of see what the thoughts were that consumed the headspace of these people. Rome was always at the front of their mind. Now, these are a people that had been oppressed historically through all sorts of other powers that came and just kind of ruled over them, from Assyria to Babylon to Persia to Greece, and now to like the biggest threat of all, the most uh, brutal empire of all, the Romans. The Romans were notorious for utilizing brute force to squelch, to, to uh, ensure any suppression of dissent. They use crucifixion. You're familiar with crucifixion. We uh, worship someone who was crucified. But crucifixion was a tactic used by this society to instill fear into the people so that there would be no revolt, there would be no uprising, there would be no... Um, resistance to the Romans. And so this is the world that this angel comes to the shepherds and says, hey, I'm bringing you great uh, good news of great joy for all people. And if you were the recipient, if you were those shepherds, or you were Mary, or you were Zachariah, receiving these messages from the angel about this good news, at the very least you're thinking that this good news will be deliverance from the Romans. Deliverance from our oppressors. Uh, but this is the tricky thing about the good news of great joy. Because that isn't what happens. Jesus doesn't come in and extinguish the threat of Rome. In fact, um, the fear that Rome imposes remains firmly entrenched in the hearts of the people of God, which has caused many, both in Jesus' day, but also within our own, within our own time, to wonder what on earth does the angel mean when he says good news of great joy? What is the good news if it's not the freedom from our oppressors? If it's, if it's not freedom from living in this constant fear, in this darkness, in this pain that we are waking up day in and day out? Um, if I you know, wake up tomorrow morning 
And there is still the very real threat that if I say the wrong thing to the wrong person, I could be the next person lined up on the road as a symbol to others. What is the good news if it is not freedom from that fear? And this morning, if we're reading these words from this angel to the shepherds, and we want to believe that what that angel is saying is actually true, then I think that we're left with maybe one of two options. The first one is we can play some mental gymnastics. We can say that this good news really isn't meant to target the dire circumstances of our world, but rather that Jesus comes in order to secure our ticket to heaven, and so just forget about the brokenness, forget about all the darkness, Forget about the grim reality that surrounds us and just focus on the goodness and the beauty that's all around because there's lots of that too. And if you just focus on the goodness and the beauty, then, um, then you'll experience joy. That's the joy that Jesus gives us. That's what he's talking about with the good news. And sure, this approach might work for a bit, but it's really hard to sustain that, especially when your circumstance is so dire and your situation is so troubled that ignoring it and seeing only positivity makes you come across as sort of a crazy lunatic, detached from reality. Like, this is not the world we live in. Wake up. And then the other option is that we can discover great joy through a new lens. And so for Mary, for Zachariah, for the shepherds, it might be fair to say that they would have interpreted this great joy as an immediate release from their enemies, That joy is going to result in a change of circumstance such that they no longer need to live in fear. That's what their expectation was. And honestly, if you think about it, that expectation hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. Today, and I know you do this, we all do this, we we equate joy with happiness, right? As this sort of fleeting emotion, this temporal feeling that when life is going well, we experience happiness, When life sucks, we're miserable. That's pretty easy. So, therefore, live in a way that brings about the, you know, the smoothest sailing in your life. Um, Minimize stressful moments. Minimize uh, any sort of conflict that might bring about disruption or unease. Um, Pursue the easy life as much as possible. And joy will be the inevitable result. Your life will be defined by joy. You will experience joy over joy over joy. And I think, I think it's fair to say that this is maybe how many of us have kind of reduced joy in our lives. And this is a very understandable approach. It makes sense. The only problem is when we look at the New Testament, there is lots and lots of, of, of um, mentioning of joy. Uh, it, in fact, it's one of the defining traits of the early church. And no matter where you look in the New Testament, joy is never shown to grow in the absence of pain. In fact, it's often the opposite. The book of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus went sailing. No. Jesus endured the cross. Not a very fun thing to do. James tells us, To consider it pure joy when your bank account is full. No, he says, consider it pure joy when you experience trials of many kinds. 
I think about Paul and Silas imprisoned in uh, the book of Acts. They are stripped down. They are beaten to within an inch of their lives. They're lying in prison in the middle of the night. And what is their response? Their response is to sing hymns of praise to God. Hymns of gratitude. And that definitely would have caused the other prisoners to kind of scratch their heads and wonder, what on earth are these guys smoking? Right? Because how are you experiencing joy in the midst of, your, of, of what you just went through? Right? You were just beaten almost to death. If joy is what results from the immediate release of our negative circumstances, Jesus and Paul and the rest of the early church, for that matter, got it severely wrong. Um, New Testament joy is not found through the denial of reality, an option one, nor is it found through the making of our perfect circumstances. Years ago, um, Ron and I listened to a podcast that, have you ever listened to a podcast that just has like sort of a lasting effect? And sometimes you can't quite remember where you heard it, but you know like that story just sort of stood out. Um, so we were talking the other night as I was kind of like, I, I'm starting to get into the practice and we're bouncing my ideas for messages off of my wife because she is a wealth of knowledge and information. Um, she didn't even ask me to say that, but it's true. And... Uh, so we were talking about this the other night, and she's like, oh, that reminds me of that story we listened to in that podcast. And I was like, yeah. And so I like, took three seconds, was able to find the podcast. Um, anyway, this is the podcast of, uh, about the, this story that this guy tells about his encounter with the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu, these guys. Um, and you can just tell how much joy these folks have. And these friends are, these guys are good friends. Um, and they go from way back. And so the, the host is talking about this um, panel that they were sitting on. And in fact, he was part of this as well. And so, you know, it was a bit of a somber um, panel. The, the topic that they were discussing was kind of, you know, not, not super light. And, and so they're going through it or whatever. And so when these two um, connect, when they reunite, he's kind of watching from a distance a little bit. And he watches them kind of get together. And as they're leaning into each other, they begin to tickle each other and start giggling like a bunch of children. And it was just like the, the weirdest response in that context. Um, and he says about this moment, this is what the, the podcast host said, he said, what was so overwhelming was that these are two people who have seen some of the worst suffering that has happened on the planet. And yet, when you're with them, what you don't pick up is the heaviness and the weight of how broken the world is. What you pick up from them is joy. Like an explosive well that's just been tapped. Like an overflowing, spilling sort of nuclear joy that just sort of rolls off of them effortlessly. I think that's the kind of great joy the angels are talking about that night in the field to the shepherds. But again, isn't this another one of those counterintuitive things? How is it that joy, that this kind of joy is even possible in light of some of the darkest, bloodiest moments of humanity that these two men had witnessed? Desmond Tutu had stood up in the um, face of evil forces of apartheid in South Africa. He saw and he heard firsthand some of the most atrocious stories of what humans did to one another 
through genocide. Um, stories I'll just spare you. But he saw sort of the ugly face of hate and racism up close and personal. The Dalai Lama was forced as a child to flee his homeland and to live in exile due to the threat of China toward his people. And then he committed his life to freeing the people of Tibet through nonviolent means. Through, and, of course, the stronghold of China resulted in this extreme aggression toward him and his people, and he witnessed that. This, these are men who have experienced some of the worst parts the worst expressions of humanity. And when we consider that, when we consider just how much despair sits inside their, their heads and what they've witnessed firsthand, the countless sources, and, and this is the thing, their work has continued on to basically bear witness to human rights violations all over the world. So they, it wasn't just a one-time thing. This is like the work of their lives that they've committed to this. And their reaction when they come together is to tickle each other and giggle, to experience a kind of joy that is inexplicable, that does not line up. It's not despair. It is a childlike silliness. Not childish, childlike silliness. It inspires us. It inspires the world. In fact, and um, this is not an advertisement. I'm not getting paid for this. But... A documentary was just produced. You can watch this on CBC Gem. And I encourage you to do so. Kick off, kick away the Hallmark Christmas movies this year. And uh, over the Christmas holidays, watch this. It's like a 45-minute documentary. But it's a documentary that actually explores the question of how joy can persist in the face of such despair and darkness in our world. Anyone, has anyone seen this? Okay, I hadn't either. So it worth, it's worth a watch. Um, so that's your challenge for this week, is to go and watch this. CBC Gem. Download the app, and then watch it. Okay. And so the question that all of us are wondering this morning is, how do we get there? How do we make it such that our experience, no matter how dark, no matter how broken, how grim the situation might be, can lead us to respond as, you know, Paul and Silas did in the prison? Or as these two men do every time they interact with each other and, and they celebrate a beautiful friendship. How can we make this promise of great joy for all people true for us? I guess it's possible that um, these folks could have plugged their ears and closed their eyes, sort of like Ernie here, and pretended that none of this stuff matters and that, you know, there's some, it's just happening in the physical world, but there's a spiritual escape that we get. Um, people do this, and maybe you even, you've even done that at a time, uh, and, and that's fair. Our world, our circumstances, life can become so heavy that rather than address it or accept it, we ignore it or we turn away from it. I remember this happened to me during um, the first few months of the Ukraine or the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Back in, what was it, February 2022, I was consumed day in and day out with what was going on in Ukraine. Probably some of you were as well. And you would watch videos of some of the atrocities that were taking place, of these civilians being displaced, of innocent people being killed. And you're just like, oh, man, oh, man, this is like, and, and it would just be a few weeks of that before I couldn't handle it anymore. And I had to, like, intentionally turn away and stop following that. And, and that's okay. 
That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think we have to do that to preserve our mental health, to preserve um, our sanity. And maybe that's happening now with what's going on in Gaza. Or maybe it's happening more with things that are more immediate to you, like your family situation or situation with friends where there is just like, there is just so much drama here and every time I engage, it causes hurt and pain and I just need to step away and I just need to pretend that, you know what, this, I, I just can't give my time and energy to this right now. That's okay. That's very different than intentionally ignoring it altogether or pretending that everything is okay and life is just peachy and if we just ignore it long enough, the problems of this world will disappear because, don't worry, Jesus is coming back soon anyway and all this will disappear. Like That approach leads to naivety. You know, maybe there's this vague awareness that the world is bad, but because I don't allow myself to be exposed to it at all, I can live in a state of ignorant bliss and I can find joy. But if the Bible is true, joy isn't attainable through ignoring reality. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, where instead of naivety, there are those who seem to walk around with this dark cloud over their heads all the time. Do you know those people? who see the negativity and the brokenness and the evil in our world, and they extrapolate that to mean that that is how everything in life is all the time. It's just bad, bad, bad. That joy is just an illusion that can be enjoyed by the naive. Those of us who are aware of just how bleak reality are, we who are paying attention, we get to truly see that joy is not really possible. And I know I have this tendency... Sometimes Rhonda is often correcting me to stop being so fatalistic. But I begin to think, oh, global warming, you know, political unrest, uh, family drama, friend drama, <laughs> my own brokenness even. All of it confounds in my head, leading me to some dark places. And maybe that's you too. And it's easy to get stuck there. We don't want to be naive and pretend it's all fine, but it's easy to get stuck in that we're all going to die and everything is just straight up awful mentality all the time. And so I think what I see in Bishop Tutu and, and the Dalai Lama, what we see throughout the New Testament and in the early church in which joy is defining, uh, the defining trait in spite of the hardship, in spite of the threat of Rome and the very real, real fears that Rome imposed on the people, we see this perspective of a people whose joy is not defined by being clueless about their reality, but by being aware of their reality. And not just awareness of the challenges that's right before them, but almost like stepping back and seeing that there is a bigger picture at work here. One in which hope is found in the midst of that brokenness. That light shines through the darkness of that situation. These are people who have experienced the full weight of the heaviness of life, of the evilness of the world, who don't deny that, and yet have arrived on the other side and are able to look back and see that the broken, the pain, the hurt is not the end of the story. Amen? It's not naivety born out of ignorance, and it's also not fatalism born out of despair. 
It's something altogether different. It's real. It's honest. And it finds its source in that same Advent hope and that same path of peace that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. And I, I can't explain it, but the angel's announcement speaks directly to it. Because after the proclamation of the good news of great joy, he says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. That's the answer, friends. There's no magic formula to joy. Christians for thousands of years have fallen back on the dependence, on the awareness that God is with us and that because of that promise, because of God being with us, we can not only face the pains and the hurt and the darkness of life, but we can endure and we can pass through it. We can come out of it on the other side and we can experience great joy along the way. How? Because the Messiah has gone before us and shown us the way. And as a caveat, you might protest and be like, well, wait a sec, Steve, the Dalai Lama, he's not even a Christian. How do you explain that? But stop for a second. Really? Your experience and my experience knows that joy is not confined to those within the church, is it? There are some beautiful souls in this world who have experienced joy. And the thing is, this passage in Scripture does not say good news of great joy for those who follow Jesus. It says for all people. So how does that work? I don't even know. But it says for all people. So let's just trust that. Yeah? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this, and I think it's a beautiful way to kind of start wrapping up. He says, The joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. And that is why it is invincible, irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish when it is there, but it finds God in the midst of it. God is not just with us as Emmanuel. But he has entered into the pain and the sorrow and the darkness of life. He's faced the worst that humanity has ex- can experience and has endured. The joy of God, therefore, is resilience. It's strength. It carries us through those hardships of life. And because it is irrefutable, because it is invincible, it passes through the darkness. And all that remains on the other side of the darkness is light, is joy. This morning I could rattle off a list of frustrations and difficult circumstances and disappointments in our lives, um, in our community, in our world. Things that if we just sit in the midst of without pushing through to the other side will end up paralyzing us. Will end up causing us to sink into despair. But in order to taste that joy and to hold on to it in any meaningful way, we are asked to keep going, to trust that God will be there in the midst of the pain and will uphold us through it. And we believe, as Jesus followers, against all odds, that because of this baby born in a manger, that we can confront the darkness 
and we can go through it to find this light that emerges on the other side. Amen? And it's only by going through it that we get to access this great joy for all people. So what does this mean practically for us who are longing for joy and are in the midst of despair this Christmas? Well, if God is with us, and he is, and if the joy of God is present in the midst of our anguish, and it is, then I've got sort of three joy truths. The first is that joy does not come to us through avoidance or denial. The second is that joy begins in the acknowledgement of the pain, the fear, the darkness. And the third is that joy becomes a choice to make within the pain, the fear, and the darkness. And I get that that choice is oftentimes not easy. And I'm not pretending it is because I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what kind of pain or situation you're in this morning, if you're in any at all. But I know that it becomes easier when we cling to the Advent promise that this God shows up in the face of Emmanuel. In the face of a God who has himself gone through the pain and promises us to be with us in the midst of ours. This is the promise of good news, of great joy for all people. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to tap into that joy, that childlike happiness that is not ignorant of the pain of the world, but that understands the bigger picture, that somehow trusts that you, because 2,000 years ago, you you were born in a manger, um, that because of that, we can enter into joy in the midst of our struggle. And we can trust you. And we can trust that you'll carry us through that. And honestly, we don't know the mechanics of it. We just want to trust you on that. And this morning, if there are people in our community who are struggling in particular, I pray that they would look out, they would reach out to you, reach out to others in this community who can help support them, who can hold them up when darkness is encroaching upon them, when their sense of despair is so great that any sense of joy seems like a joke? Um, would, your community, would your spirit speak to each of us to help us to be sensitive to the needs, to the, where people are around us, and to speak into their lives in a way that encourages them, in a way that points them toward you, that points them toward your joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.